Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. This is the fourth in a series of special episodes on the seven final sayings of Christ from the cross, followed by an Easter celebration. Our special guest for each of these episodes is Bishop Reuben Sines, Jr., Episcopal Leader of the Great Plains Conference. Bishop, welcome back to In Layman's Terms. Good to be here, Todd. Bishop, before we reflect on this week's scripture, uh, I want to talk about prayer. Uh, prayer is such an important part of preparation and reflection of the readings uh, in this uh, time of year especially. What are some prayer strategies that you find most helpful, particularly during Lent? Todd, I have many prayer strategies. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly praying, and I, I like a lot of diversity in my prayer practices. But basically, when I pray, I, I pray to encounter God and to be encountered by God in, in some way. Um, I find myself needing to pray when I'm in a process of discernment. I, I pray for the well-being of others. Um, we pray when we're in need of God's grace, when we're making big decisions. And basically, prayer is a, is, a, is a dependence upon God that says, um, God, I need your guidance. And I, and I especially find myself praying more now as a bishop. <laughs> I, I bet so. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I like guided meditations, for example. Sometimes I'll pick up a, a resource that, that kind of walks me through a prayer um, a practice without me having to put a lot of thought into it. Sometimes I'll use a liturgical calendar or the scriptures for mm-hmm. uh, in the liturgical calendar, the Old Testament, the Psalms, uh, the Gospel, or the Epistle. Um, there are times when I'll practice the divine hours. So I'll pray in the morning, at noon, and uh, in the evening, mm-hmm. right? If, if I really need that much structure, sometimes I'll just pray a breath, uh, a breath prayer during the day. Um, Ho- Holy Spirit, give me your peace. And that's my prayer for the day. And I pray. I can, and so some of these things are going on layered simultaneously throughout the day. Sometimes I'll, I'll pray form prayers like the Wesleyan Covenant prayer or the Lord's Prayer. And I like to pray the Psalms, Psalm 23, mm-hmm. the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, Psalm 46, my God is a, is a, is a very present help in time of trouble, he's my refuge, Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner, Psalm 90, teach us to number our days, Psalm 100, praise the Lord, Psalm 103, right? Uh, and so, you know, I, I, uh, I have a variety of strategies for prayer. There's never one, sometimes I determine I'm going to do this prayer process for a period of time for Lent, for example. And sometimes it's just like, what do I need to stay connected to God? And um, I, I like to pray the prayers from the fathers and mothers of the faith, of St. Francis of Assisi, uh, Teresa the Avila, St. Patrick's Breast Prayer, 
uh, Pierre uh, Tillhard, the Chagrin, the slow work of God and others. So I am not at a lack <laughs> for prayer resources. And so I, it's exciting for, for me too. And in case anybody out there missed it, who's listening right now, we've been doing the uh, Lectio Divina uh, strategy for prayer on Facebook every morning. Uh, it's the Great Plains Conference uh, Facebook page. If you go there, like our page and follow us. Uh, it's not too late. You can start in today. Uh, just go in. Uh, there's There are six steps to this. We lay out all six steps for you and give you a question of the day for you to comment or to give you an opportunity to reflect for journaling later in the day. So yes. uh, you can start that today, uh, and we'd be happy to have you take part, even if you haven't done it before. It's never too late. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, Bishop, as we reflect... Um, this week's scripture, it comes from the Gospel of Mark. It's from chapter 15, verse 34. Uh, we're nearing the end of Jesus' life on earth now as we come to this week's passage. He's been beaten. He's been forced to carry the beam of the cross. He's been spat upon and taunted. And just prior to our verse, we learn that darkness has consumed the land. Yes. Then scripture tells us that Jesus cries out loud in a voice, in a prayer, uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Bishop, what can we glean from those words? That Jesus died with the Psalms on his lips, right? The scripture on his lips. Um, citing, citing the first words of a text, text of scripture, uh, in the tradition of the time was a way of identifying the entire passage. For, for example, if if I cite the words, oh say, can you see? We know right what that is. You know exactly what that is, yeah. right? It's it's uh, the national anthem, right? right? right. So when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For those who knew Torah and the Psalms, they went right to Psalm 22. And uh, so Psalm 22 is a prayer for God's help. It's, it's a universal prayer. So the, the question is, is it, is it one individual who's writing down his experiences or is it a model of how one should pray to God in a time of dire circumstance and, and in dire need of God's help? So by, by citing the, the words of, from Psalm 22, my God, my God, Jesus expresses a, a very intimate relationship between him and God. It's, it's my God, mine, right? Mm -hmm. It's a personal relationship. And uh, it's personal, it's possessive. And the outcry also uh, connotes himself, um, portrayed, connected with the person portrayed in the Psalms. He, he kind of steps into the pain and suffering and affliction of the psalmist. Into that persona. He, he steps into mm -hmm. that persona mm -hmm. because the, the psalm is speaking for him now. You know, he, he doesn't have the breath to recite it all, but the psalm, by bringing it to Mary, is now speaking for him and speaking about the, the, the assurance of God's help in, in this moment of, of trouble. And I guess also for me, when I read those words every, every year around this time, I, I think... Absolutely, I believe Jesus was God, but it also really shows his humanity. Yeah. Uh, he feels abandoned um, uh, at this time, or at least it appears that way based on what he said. And we all feel that at times, right? Um, no matter how faithful we are, we all have these moments in our lives and we're just, wow, is God really there? Is he really paying attention <laughs> to what I'm going through? Because clearly God wouldn't have meant for this to happen. What, what, what would you have to say about that? I'm sure parishioners in, in your time in ministry have, have asked that, those kinds of questions. There's moments when people feel abandoned and, uh, and feel the darkness and the isolation and the absence of God very, very acutely. But we learn, we learn from Jesus' 
uh, words on the cross that we can bring the worst of what is happening to us in life, whatever it may be, uh, to God. And as Psalm 22 says, if, if, you, if you read the rest of it, it says that God does not abhor the affliction of the afflicted. God does not hide his face from us, but hears us when we cry to him and delivers us. Mm-hmm. And so, so that Jesus is, is, is showing us that, yeah, it, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how abandoned we may feel, uh, God is never beyond our cries. So, uh, really important the, the point you made earlier about how that first opening phrase is really more of an identifier for the entire passage. Yeah. Because really, Psalm 22 is about bringing comfort to people who are, feel like they're forsaken. Exactly. Uh, and that's really what Jesus was doing. But the, the, the gospel writer really just captures this first bit because that's probably all Jesus could get out. Uh, given the physical uh, a battering yeah. of his body, right? Have you ever tried to talk when you're winded and exhausted and you can't breathe? Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to carry a conversation. It's tough. So the fact that Jesus was uttering brief statements spoke a lot to his the, the extent of his suffering. Because had all things been normal, he could have probably quoted the whole Psalm 22 and the other 128 right. <laughs> after that. Right. But in, in his physical condition, the best he could do was just utter mm-hmm. brief statements that then would direct people to, hey, read the psalm for yourself. So I think it's fascinating because what it does is turn that passage, how we often read it at a very surface level, we think, oh, you know, he felt abandoned. Really, he was teaching at the last moment. He, he was teaching, you're not abandoned. This is what you may feel, but this is not this is not, God is not leaving anyone alone in this, including me while I'm here hanging on the cross. Right. I think that's, I think that to me, that's very powerful. It, it is powerful. And, and here's the thing that when Jesus prays this prayer uh, for helping God amid an experience of abandonment, he joins a company of all peoples in all times, in all places um, that have and that are and that will suffer brokenness that will suffer affliction and will share in the terrifying uh, experience of the apparent silence of god and and the darkness of hopelessness that uh, comes when god is apparently absent and so his cry for help and encourages um, people um, to come uh, when they suffer even to the point of being overwhelmed with grief and sorrows and that and that we can look to him uh, for uh, for strength and for and for hope um, and in those lone, moments of loneliness we, we find a blessed savior and we find a friend who has shared in our suffering and mm-hmm. so as as he as a as a, as a hymn uh, reads what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear uh, he gives us peace, he lightens our burdens, and he's with us in our trials, temptations, and troubles. And so we, we have a, a, uh, a friend, a Lord, a Savior, who, who has not, uh, is not exempt from our human condition, our human suffering. Which just, again, emphasizes the connection that we can have with Jesus because he's gone through 
through crucifixion, has gone through more than most of us will ever, thankfully, <laughs> endure ourselves, right, physically in this world. Uh, I think that's 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 a fairly very significant uh, point. And again, Todd, you know, for for me, when I when I shared at, at the first podcast, when I look at the sufferings of Christ, mm -hmm. they they offer me uh, a source of hope and strength just by looking at at Christ and 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 at Jesus in, in these moments of his last moments. And so, whatever I go through it doesn't even begin to compare. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Uh, elsewhere in the, uh, in the passage, uh, right after that, we, we learned bystanders were kind of questioning, who was he talking to? What was he saying? Yeah. And some of them thought he was talking about Elijah, a yeah. uh, great prophet um, uh, from Israel's past. Uh, why is that significant? The, the gospel writer picks that detail out to share with everybody. What's your, what's your reflection on that? The identity of Jesus was always in question throughout the Gospel mm -hmm. of Mark, right? Right. Um, so, so first of all, scholars believe that that Jesus was misunderstood by by the bystanders because when he cries out, "Eloi, Eloi," right? Elohim, Elohim, my God, my Creator, God, why have you abandoned me? Uh, they they hear Elias, Elias. Elijah, Elijah, right? In Aramaic. Mm -hmm. So again, it, it, it's a man who's suffering to breathe, trying to to uh, to call upon God, and the bystanders hear Elias, Elias, instead of Eloi, Eloi, and and so um, they believe that Jesus is crying out to Elijah, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, he's crying out to Elijah now. Well, let's see if Elijah comes down to save him, and so they start mocking him. Because you know they they want to see a spectacle, right? right? And right. so, um, but but going back to to the intent of of the of Mark, is that he wants to make sure that Jesus is not known only as a prophet in the tradition of Elijah, but that he is the Son mm -hmm. of God, the Lord and Savior. And and so and so Mark Mark continues to press that. And so the Gospel of Mark records two discussions about the identity of Jesus. Uh, one is initiated by Herod in chapter 6, 14 to 16, and the other between Jesus and his disciples. So when Herod heard that Jesus was sending out his disciples to proclaim repentance, cast out demons, and cure the sick, he thought that Jesus was like Elijah, uh, the prophet of old. You read the, you read the text, you, you see, you can look into Herod's rumination about, is Jesus like Elijah the prophet? promote. And then when Jesus asked his disciples who the public said he was, they answered that the people were speculating. See John the Baptist, John the Baptist, Elijah, Elijah right? etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus, then Peter declares, but you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. So, so therefore, Mark wants to make sure that Jesus is not reduced to the office of a prophet, although he was, but he was more than a prophet. Mm -hmm. um, and so the issue of Jesus' identity is finally resolved by the centurion who's standing at the foot of the cross looking at Jesus, right? right? And so all this, all this, what's the identity of Jesus gets played out, and then it gets heightened in, in where the bystanders here are always calling him Elijah. Let's see what's going to happen now. And the centurion uh, who's, who's looking at Jesus as he breathes his last uh, finally says, 
truly, and after after that, you know, the temple veil has been torn in two. Darkness has filled the land, and and, so, and we'll get into that in, in the yeah. future episode of just how amazing that curtain tearing is. <laughs> yeah, and and he says, truly, this was the Son of God. Identity crisis resolved. And it's a great device for Mark, the gospel writer of Mark, to point that out because it's it's not a follower of Christ who makes the identity. Exactly. It's somebody who's a bystander and that probably has, a that participant has, that has deduced this based on what he's seen, right? So, um, somebody who has come to belief because of what he's seen and heard as Jesus is hanging there on the cross. Uh, that's a pretty powerful testimony. It is a powerful testimony. And sometimes, Todd, it takes someone from outs from the outside. Uh, mm -hmm. to awaken those on the inside about the identity of Christ. Because we, we, we become so familiar with Christ that we kind of take it for granted. Right. And it's not new anymore. But to the centurion who was right there, you know, at the foot of the cross, observing everything that was going on, it was new to him. And he made a public profession, which put his life in danger. Right, right. Yeah, you wonder how much he talked about it after he left that, after he left Calvary, yeah. right? You just don't know. Yeah, you wonder who he, who he talked about, right? Who, who he talked about that experience with. Right. Because I'm sure he just couldn't go to his buddies back at the, you know, boot, at, at, the, at the base camp. And right. say, guess what I figured out today, right. fellas? right. <laughs> Yeah, it's not something that's going to come up in the dinner conversation no. typically for that group of people. No. Uh, is there anything else that we haven't talked about related to this particular saying of, of Christ from the cross that we haven't gotten into that you'd like to make sure people understand? I would just like to to, to bring back uh, the a, a thought from from last week. You know, my God, my God, why why have you forsaken me? Um, and I want to talk about Mary a little bit. Because, because Mary is is watching all this. Mm -hmm. She's there, and I I got the 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 strong sense that that Mary, who, who was the the first disciple, the one who bore Jesus and, and gave him life, and said, "Let it be done to me according to Thy will." Right? Behold, mm -hmm. the handmaiden of, of right. Of the Lord, let it be done to me according to will. So she was a participant in the birthing of, of of Christ, and as she stands there by the cross, she she stands there with all mothers, in all times and all places, who's lost a child uh, through through violence, uh, through suffering, or through tragedy, and um, and I just think you know her role. Uh, in in all of this is is significant because she also I mean what one of the, the prophecies of Mary was like oh this child you know you'll be pierced to the heart with sorrows and and that became a reality for her and I, I just I just think about all the mothers in all the world uh, whose children are are in trouble or or who are suffering or who have died you know before their time and how their hearts are pierced and how mary the mother of jesus uh, stands with them not only then but even even today mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, and if, if you allow yourself to, to think about what's actually going on in the cross and the seven sayings of Jesus, I don't think you'll ever get to the bottom of it. You'll, you'll never get to the point where you understand it all. But it just, it just opens up new windows to be more human, uh, to be more, to be more um, Christ-like, if at all possible, through the help of the Holy Spirit, and to, to be transformed in, in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Okay. Well, that's going to be it for this episode and in, in our series on the final sayings of Jesus from the cross. I want to thank Bishop Sines again for joining us to share his knowledge and reflection. Uh, we'll be back next week with the fifth and the sixth of Jesus' uh, seven saints from the cross. We've got to catch up one week because we're going to celebrate Easter the Monday after yes, Easter. Yes. Um, so uh, until then, all of you have a blessed week and a blessed time on your Lenten journey. God's peace be with you. Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with FirstCom Music. You can find archived podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tcypher at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.